My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And I, I want to I ask for your help. I want this show to grow. I want more people to watch and more people to listen to this podcast. My dream is to do this show as my full-time job. I want to own it myself. I want to do it on the internet and have complete control. I don't want to do it for CBS or ESPN. I don't want to work for a big network. I want to own it myself. And if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook. Share a link on Twitter. Maybe you screenshot it. Put it on Instagram. I, I, I don't have a marketing strategy beyond this. This is all I have. You know, a lot of people, one of the most common comments I get on YouTube is, you have great content. We love your stuff. You deserve more viewers. What you should do is you should buy ad spaces on Facebook or Twitter or promote yourself and buy, buy revenue, like buy ads. I have no money. I am a broke college kid. I, I can't buy ad spaces. I, I, don't have, I don't have money to pay for books. And so my plan, this is my marketing plan. This is my strategy. All I plan to do is put every ounce of effort I have into making the very best podcast I can. I believe if I make a great product that people believe in, that people like, then they will share it with their friends. And so if you agree with that, if you believe in the show, if you like what I do, please do me a huge favor. Tell your friends about it. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is February, February 22nd. I can't speak. You know, I had one of those days. I was so busy today. I was in my room probably. I went to class this morning. I was in my room all day. I think it's very possible I have not spoken words at all today until right now. I think you ever had one of those days where you just didn't speak. You're just doing your thing. You're working all day. Maybe, maybe not. Nobody else makes podcasts. I don't know. I, I'm a guy. I just put my head down. I work the entire day, and I, I probably haven't spoken words until right now. Uh, a good day. I'm learning how to enjoy school. I kinda, I've kind of i decided I'm going to treat school like football, take it very seriously, prepare really hard, and uh, whatever my professor says, treat her like a coach. You just put your head down. You, you do it, and you do it the best you can. Uh, I want to start today with this. I want to start today with Antonio Brown. So we all know Antonio Brown is one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL. Some say he's the best in the entire NFL. He's had over 1,000 yards in seven of his last nine seasons. Uh, He had a really great year last year. Last year, he had 15 touchdown catches. He is fantastic. He's a stud. He is 30 years old, but he's at the top of his game. And uh, I will also say his contract costs about $22 million next season. But Antonio Brown wants to be traded. He wants out of Pittsburgh. He met with the ownership of his team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, recently, and the consensus was made after the meeting that it would be best for both sides, for everybody involved, if Antonio Brown was traded away from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, they're going to trade him. The question is, who is going to trade for him? And who should? Who should trade for Antonio Brown? I mean, the obvious answer really is theoretically everybody, right? Everybody's team would improve from having Antonio Brown on their roster. But the truth is the answer is far more complicated than that. I've realistically whittled it down to the two teams I think are most likely and probably most should trade for Antonio Brown. Then there's also one team I believe should not. And there's another team that I believe sort of is kind of on the fence. We'll talk about that down the road. I want to start with the number one, uh, probably the first team I think should trade for 
Antonio Brown. It is the New York Jets. The Jets have a ton of cap space. In fact, with $102 million of free salary cap space, they have the second most of any NFL team this offseason. They also have a really young quarterback, Sam Darnold. They have a new head coach. Bringing Antonio Brown into their offense would really, really not only help the development of Sam Darnold, it would really, really benefit the head coach, Adam Gase, and make his offense come alive. It's also a really good fit for Antonio Brown. The New York Jets, New York, the city of New York. I mean, let's be honest. He's a star, and he wants to be a high-profile star. He embraces that. He wants attention. He wants eyeballs. He could live, Antonio Brown could live the high life in New York City. It would be fantastic for him. Here's the problem. Here's the one kind of slight hesitation I have with the New York Jets. The New York Jets are in the AFC. So are the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're in the AFC North. The Jets are in the AFC East. That means it's potential that if the Jets made the playoffs, the Steelers and the Jets could play each other in the playoffs. So what's the incentive for the Steelers? Why would the Steelers want to send him to the New York Jets? Obviously, if they, if they put enough players together or a good enough package, then yeah, they'd take the deal. It is also worth noting the Jets have the number three overall pick. That's a really good bargaining chip that grabs you a fantastic wide receiver, maybe the best in the NFL, Antonio Brown. But if it's not the Jets, this is the team I feel like is most likely to trade for Antonio Brown. It is the San Francisco 49ers. First of all, they have enough cap space. They have all the cap space in the world. Uh, SpotTrack.com says they have $76 million of free salary cap room this offseason. That's the fifth most in the NFL. And the way the 49ers designed their quarterback's contract, they signed Jimmy Garoppolo to a massive, massive deal last offseason, and they made it very heavily front-loaded. In year one, they paid Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they overpaid him year one, but the, the reason was, and the benefit was, they could sign him to a massive deal and then have space later when they wanted to add other high-profile players. This is the 49ers' opportunity. This is why they signed Jimmy Garoppolo to the deal they did. It was so they could have money later to sign and bring in other big players. The 49ers would benefit greatly from trading for Antonio Brown. I mean, that's an obvious statement, right? Their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, would love to have that offensive weapon. It would help the entire offense. It would open up the running game. It would open up the passing game. It would help their wide receivers. And you got to also remember, the 49ers have the number one tight end in all of football. So having George Kittle, Antonio Brown, and Matt Brieta, that's a great member. Jarek McKinnon comes back, the 49ers wide receiver that tours ACL. All around, the 49ers offense would skyrocket and massively improve. And I think actually with that, a good defensive draft pick, who knows, the 49ers could very likely be contenders if they added Antonio Brown. The Steelers would also benefit from trading Antonio Brown to the 49ers. If the Steelers are indeed going to part ways with Antonio Brown, where else would you rather trade him than all the way across the United States from the East Coast, send him to the West Coast, send him to San Francisco? The 49ers are an NFC team. The, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are an AFC team. That means they would not play Antonio Brown in the, Super, in the playoffs at all. They wouldn't play him until the Super Bowl. If somehow, miraculously, the 49ers and the Steelers got to the Super Bowl, I don't think that would happen. I believe, truly, that the 49ers have the best chance to trade for Antonio Brown, and I think they should. I think they really should go for it. They have the money. This is why they built their team the way they did. Go get a high-impact player that would heavily elevate your offense. Now, here's a team I think is on the fence, a team that 
I'm not certain should trade for Antonio Brown, but is in the conversation and is worth noting. So the Green Bay Packers could trade for Antonio Brown. Here's a big problem. They only have $34 million of cap space. And in 2019, 2019 season, Antonio Brown's going to take up $22 million of cap space. $22 million of your $34 million would be going to one wide receiver. Not only that, the Packers have to trade something to get to acquire Antonio Brown. They have to give stuff up. And I'll be honest about the Packers. Their roster's not in a good position to get rid of pieces. They don't have a great draft pick, and they don't have a lot of great players they can part ways with. So they're, they're going to get rid of a lot of good pieces on their team and trade for a wide receiver that costs a lot of money, taking even more salary cap space. I don't know if this is a good... I, I really think if they're going to acquire a former stealer, the Packers are better spending their money on Le'Veon Bell, the running back. Again, is a is the problem with the Packers Aaron Rodgers' ability to throw the ball? No, no, it's not. No, defense and the running game, those are the two big problems for the Green Bay Packers. Why would the Packers trade away pieces of their defense, trade away a potential, a valuable first-round draft pick, a guy that could be a defensive player and contribute to their defense for Antonio Brown when they could just, if they're going to use that money anyways, sign Le'Veon Bell. He's, he's not free, but you have to give up far less to get Le'Veon Bell. That is what I would do if I was a Packers. With that $34 million of my free salary cap, draft someone on defense with the first-round draft pick and sign Le'Veon Bell, the former running back from the Steelers. Now, the Colts. The Colts are a team that a lot of people are considering for, really, it seems like every free agent and every player out there. This is because the Colts have $107 million of free salary cap space. That is the, they, are, they have the most money to spend this offseason in the NFL. Here's the problem. T.Y. Hilton is their best wide receiver in Indianapolis. And he's basically the knockoff version of Antonio Brown, right? They have the same skill set. They're very similar wide receivers. You don't really want two Antonio Browns. You want a big, I had my buddy, he played wide receiver for Portland State. He came on my podcast recently. He says, if you're going to pair Antonio Brown with another wide receiver, get a a 6'5", really tall possession wide receiver alongside Antonio Brown. It's not that he wouldn't work with the Colts, but you already have that need filled. You need to fill a different need here's the comparison I would make. Antonio Brown is kind of like Coca-Cola. And T.Y. Hilton is like the knockoff brand of Coca-Cola, like the grocery store, like signature select cola that you get. You already have that need filled. Go get something else. It might not be the best version of it, but it's already good enough and you have a great wide receiver. Why go trade for Antonio Brown and give up pieces of your really good team? I don't think it would happen. I think the Colts are a match that does not fit well with Antonio Brown, I think the Colts should not trade for Antonio Brown. Again, I repeat, I think the most likely team to sign Antonio Brown, and mo- excuse me, the most likely team to trade for Antonio Brown, I think the most likely team to trade for Antonio Brown is the San Francisco 49ers. I want to say this right now, though. I want to make a prediction. There is zero chance the New England Patriots trade for Antonio Brown. It's not going to happen. There is no way. Look, he's one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL. He wants to be traded from the Steelers. The Steelers have agreed to trade him away. It's going to happen. And and then you enter the New England Patriots. You would think on paper, well, yeah, the Patriots would heavily benefit from having Antonio Brown. 
some people would argue they don't need him. I, they need a top wide receiver. I know they just won the Super Bowl. They won it without a top wide receiver. But let's be honest about the Patriots. If they had needed to score a lot of points in the Super Bowl, they would have lost. They got lucky. They're de- they didn't get lucky, but they, got, they were fortunate their defense played really, really well. What we saw in the Super Bowl was the Patriots had really good matchups on the outside with their wide receivers, and the Rams were daring them to throw the ball deep downfield, and the Patriots simply did not have the personnel. They didn't have the receivers. They didn't have the bodies to take advantage of the way the Rams were playing them on defense. The Patriots are severely lacking in talent at wide receiver. But again, there's no chance. There is no chance the Pittsburgh Steelers trade the maybe the best wide receiver in the entire NFL, Antonio Brown, to the New England Patriots. It's not going to happen. The two teams hate each other. It's, it's just not, not going to work. This is a massive rivalry with countless games, countless meaningful, high-impact games, AFC Championship games, many games of playoff implications late in the game, late in the year. In 2017, Week 15, that was a massive, massive matchup. Also, the Steelers do not want to help long, uh, Longgate, or uh, they don't want to make Tom Brady's career longer. Having Antonio Brown would really help Tom Brady and help him last longer in the NFL. There's no way the Steelers want to do that. They want Tom Brady out. They want to move in. They, they don't want to help their rival. And not to mention the last time the Patriots had a really great wide receiver, Randy Moss. <laughs> They dominated. They, they broke records. It was horrifying. They had a perfect regular season. So as much as I think the Steelers would not trade Antonio Brown to the Patriots, I'm not convinced the Patriots would even want Antonio Brown. Would he help him? Yeah, of course he would help him. Antonio Brown helps any team that he joins the roster, right? Antonio Brown helps every single team in the NFL. But he's really expensive. Antonio Brown is $22 million next season in salary cap space. The Patriots only have... $14 million to spend this offseason. And look, he's not only is he not only is Antonio Brown expensive, he's a loud, attention-seeking wide receiver. Does that sound like the kind of guy the Patriots head coach Bill Belichick wants to invest in? I'll tell you now, it's not. Unless he suddenly changes his entire brand, changes his entire strategy. No. Bill Belichick doesn't want to deal with or work with Antonio Brown. I don't know. Look, Antonio Brown is really expensive. He's distracting. Plus the Steelers don't want to help the Patriots. Anyways, there is zero chance the New England Patriots trade for Antonio Brown. All right, guys, we have really good stuff ahead. We're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell, the teams that should trade for the fantastic running back. We're going to talk about Zion Williamson. I've got a, a long, long topic. Um, most of this podcast really uh, is dedicated to basketball and this issue with what do you do with 18-year-old basketball players? Should they be able to join the NBA? Should they stay go to college? We'll talk about that in depth. We're going to talk about the AAF. We learned where the $250 million investment came from. It's going to be really interesting. We're going to preview the AAF week three. We're going to talk a lot about the Alliance of American Football versus Vince McMahon's new league, which come, starts next year, the XFL. Uh, please remember to subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports. Share this with your friends. And, uh, you know, I talked about Deflategate in last week's episode. Deflategate, of course, was the, the incident where the Patriots were slightly underinflating balls by a few PSI. And the NFL moved in and gave them a penalty for it. They suspended Tom Brady for four games. I, I really believe, I just want to say, this is a brief moment, thing I want to mention. 
I believe this was a rule that a lot of people were breaking. This was a rule that the NFL was very lax about. Kind of like when you see the freeway, it's, it's 60, but everyone goes 65. No one stops the driver going 64 miles an hour on the freeway. Then the NFL decided to be that a-hole cop and stop the driver going 64 miles an hour and, and suddenly enforce a, a rule that no one had been enforcing in a long time. I, I think it's very likely more people were slightly deflating footballs to be a little more comfortable throwing the ball. I think everyone does it at some point. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I think the Patriots, really, when you look at the Patriots and examine the Patriots, other than Spygate, they, they go by the book. They, they know the rules very, very well in the NFL. They're very, they're, they've won games because of their knowledge of the rules. Uh, and I don't think that Deflategate, I think that was an instance where the NFL saw an opportunity to go after Tom Brady. I, I don't mean, I don't think it was that insidious, but I think what, what it was is this thing came out and the NFL realized this is our, our number one high profile player. If we don't act on this and do something about it, we're going to always be given crap for not enforcing this rule because it's technically in the rule book. I mean, if you're, if your best player who's won multiple Super Bowls gets caught breaking what's technically in the rule book, you got to enforce it. And so... I, don't think, I do not believe the NFL was going after Tom Brady, but I do think they were enforcing a rule that wasn't normally enforced, kind of like, again, a guy going 64 miles an hour in a 60-mile-an-hour speed limit zone. For the most part, that's not really enforced. I think the deflate gate was an instance where they had their pants down and they had to do something about it or else fans would have been incredibly outraged. Uh, I do want to say this, too. There are, this episode, I wanted a lot more topics in this episode, and I simply ran out of time. I'm going to San Diego this weekend. I'm going to an Alliance of American football game this weekend. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to write a lot. Um, but I did move a couple topics from today's show back. Stuff about Case Keenum, stuff about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. A couple things I just moved back to whenever I do a show next week when I get back from San Diego because I, I just I ran out of time. Look, I'm busy. I'm in school. I'm doing the best I can. Um, but I do want to let you know. My Jimmy Garoppolo video breakdown is coming. I'm, I worked on it a little bit today. I got some video clips. I'm, at, I'm bring it all together. And uh, I also have not started my research for the NFL draft and that quarterback episode yet. I'm hoping to get it done in the next two weeks. I have spring ball coming up. Uh, April 8th is when I start spring ball for college football. And I just want to communicate with you guys, my NFL draft profile, that whole long, it'll be an entire about hour, hour 30 long minute episode dedicated to the 12 NFL quarterbacks I want to cover in the NFL draft. I'm working on it and it's coming soon. So uh, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. Uh, he can run. He can catch the ball really well out of the backfield. He's incredibly versatile and a really fantastic running back. He's 29 years old. He did not play a down of football last year. If you remember, the Steelers franchise tagged him, and uh, he simply refused to play. He said, I'm not, I don't want to be in this contract. I'm here against my will, and I'm not going to do it. And I'm actually, I'm kind of impressed. I really, I don't know if this is a common take or not. I thought what he did was unprecedented. I, I really respected it. He refused to be forced into a situation he didn't want to be part of. The Steelers were going to pay him for that one year, the franchise tag, a lot of money, and then just let him walk away. And Le'Veon Bell said, you know, I know my worth. I don't want you guys using my ability against me. And I'm just, I'm going to sit out. I'm going to rest my body. I'm going to get healthy and, and do my thing. And it's been reported now the Steelers are going to let Le'Veon Bell just walk away in free agency. And the question now is, who should sign Le'Veon Bell? Which NFL team should bring Le'Veon Bell 
to their roster in free agency. I'm assuming two things. One, I'm assuming that he's still the same incredible running back we saw two years ago. Remember, he didn't, hasn't played in an entire year. He's been supposedly training. I'm going to have the assumption he's not only going to be a really good running back, back to the caliber he was, I'm going to assume that he's fresh and having a year off probably helped his body and he got rested and I'm sure he's in great football shape. I'm also off, working off of this assumption. I'm assuming he's going to sign a massive, massive contract. He wants a lot of money and a lot of guaranteed money in years. Uh, I think he's going to sign a contract somewhere in the ballpark. This is rough. Could be over, could be under, I don't know. I think he's going to sign a deal somewhere in the ballpark of $20 million a year. Which that means is whatever team signs Le'Veon Bell, they got to have a lot of cap space available to work with. Remember, Le'Veon Bell had plenty of contracts offered to him by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He said all those amounts of money were too low. He's going to sign a big contract. The question is where? Now, the number one team I think should go after Le'Veon Bell, and I think Le'Veon Bell's a good fit for this team as well, I think the Ravens are a fantastic, fantastic fit for Le'Veon Bell for a multitude, for a plethora, I've never used that word before on the podcast, for a plethora of reasons. Look, the Ravens run the ball a ton. In fact, they ran the ball more times than any other team in the entire NFL, 547 times last year in 2018. It's the most in the NFL. The only other team that had over 500 carries was the Seattle Seahawks. And just imagine Lamar Jackson and Le'Veon Bell on the same backfield together. It's horrifying. That would be, that's, that's fantastic. I think it's, you know, it is, we got to acknowledge part of the reason why the Ravens so heavily rely on the running game is because of their quarterback, Lamar Jackson's limitations, right? He's not an incredibly talented thrower of the football, but I think he's going to, I think you got to give him time. I think he will develop. I believe in Lamar Jackson. And Le'Veon Bell, having Le'Veon Bell on their roster would tremendously help the Ravens. It would make defenses have to play them slightly differently. It would give the Ravens better matchups on the outside. That is a great, great fit for the Ravens. It really helps, not only helps the Ravens, it helps their young quarterback, Lamar Jackson, develop. You also got to realize the Ravens have the cap space to sign Lamar Jackson. They have $46 million of cap space. That's to the higher end of teams with more money to spend. And the other thing you got to think of is Le'Veon Bell could go there simply to stick it to the Steelers. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think Le'Veon Bell is going to go wherever the money is the greenest, where whoever pays him the most, I think is where he's going to go. But something to consider for Le'Veon Bell, you could go to your division rival, the Baltimore Ravens, the team that made the playoffs in the AFC North last year. Join them. Play the Steelers two times a year and stick it to them. If Le'Veon Bell's petty at all, like I am, I, if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I'm gonna. What's what's sixty million dollars worth? Fifty-five million dollars. If the Jets offer me sixty million and the Ravens offer me fifty million and a chance to play my former team two times a year, yeah, I want to do that. I want to stick it to my former team, and that's a real, I think, legitimate storyline. Here is could Le'Veon Bell go to the Baltimore Ravens? play for his division rival, his former division rival, and stick it to the Steelers two times a year, maybe even make the playoffs over them. That is the kind of drama I want to see in the NFL, and I think Le'Veon Bell's the kind of guy to do something like that. Now, here's the thing. If all, all Le'Veon Bell cares about is money, the Indianapolis Colts could pay him the most. The Indianapolis Colts have the highest amount of free salary cap space 
in the entire NFL. They have $107 million of free salary cap space. So the Colts could sign Le'Veon Bell. Uh, One of the reasons why they have all this money is because they've drafted so well recently. Their team is really young. They have a really young, talented defense. They have a lot of young players. They have a really good offensive line. This is the benefit. When you draft well, your contracts are young, your contracts are cheap, and your players are young. What that means is I really think the Colts could take advantage of this situation, sign a big player like Le'Veon Bell, and take a long push towards the Super Bowl. I mean, let's think about it. If the Colts can sign a running back like Le'Veon Bell and another pass and a pass rusher, ooh, that, that's that's a team that could contend for the Super Bowl. And if I was the Colts, I would absolutely go for it. Spend the money, go after Le'Veon Bell, make your team better, and invest in your chance to go win the Super Bowl by signing a fantastic, fantastic running back like Le'Veon Bell. I really think the Colts should go for it. Spend the money, make it happen. Now, the third and fourth teams I think could potentially sign. Le'Veon Bell, are the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills. They both have a ton of cap space. Uh, The Jets have the second most amount of cap space in the entire NFL. They have $102 million to spend. The Bills have the fourth most cap space, the fourth most, uh, $78 million. Both of these teams have young quarterbacks. The Jets have Sam Darnold. The Bills have Josh Allen. Adding a great running back like Le'Veon Bell, again, the same way it would impact Lamar Jackson would help Sam Darnold, and Josh Allen. Defenses would have to play them differently. And this would potentially allow for better matchups along the outside with your perimeter-wide receivers. If the Jets, by the way, somehow could bring in Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown on the same roster with Sam Darnold, oh, that's a a scary, scary mismatch for almost anyone who plays them. That's a dilemma because you've got to load the box to stop the running game. But if you do that, you're giving up numbers in the pass defense, and, and that really benefits guys like Antonio Brown. It's also worth noting the Jets and the Bills play in the same division. So if the Jets sign Le'Veon Bell and the Bills don't go after him at all, I guess the point here is if you don't sign Le'Veon Bell, the other team could in your division could, and then you'd have to play him twice a year. I think that competitive edge between the two really could impact how much money they try to, how hard they go after Le'Veon Bell. Do you want your division rival to have him? Maybe not. I mean, we saw in... Last year, when the Raiders traded for, traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, the rumor was that part of the reason why the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, this fantastic defensive end, was so that the Packers didn't have him. Said, we'd rather have him on our team than play him twice a year. That could be something that affects the way the Bills and the Jets go after Le'Veon Bell this offseason. They also have to leave. They have to be very careful. They must leave some salary cap space open in the future because at some point... The Jets are going to want to sign their young quarterback, Sam Darnold. The Bills are going to want to re-sign their quarterback, Josh Allen. It's a couple years away, but they got to keep that in the back of their mind as well. How about the Green Bay Packers? This, I think, is the biggest long shot. The fifth team I think could sign Le'Veon Bell, of course, is again the Packers. Um, the reason why this is such a long shot is because the Packers have, I say, I say only, the Packers have $34 million dollars to spend in salary cap space this offseason. I really think this money, maybe it's better spent on a couple players on their defense. But again, you got to ask, when's the last time that the Packers had a great running back? When's the last time Aaron Rodgers really had another great star player with him on offense? You can argue maybe Jimmy Graham, but he really didn't, he didn't pan out. 
And, and I think the Packers signing Antonio Brown is a better move than them trading for Antonio Brown because you don't have to give up anything to get Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, you sign him, you don't have to give up draft picks, you don't have to give up defensive players. I think the Packers should go after, if they're going to go after one of those two players, it should be Le'Veon Bell because he's, he's money, you can pay him now, and you don't have to give up anything to have him, other than, of course, salary cap space. So I think if the Packers are going to go, if they're going to go after either Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown, the Packers should go after Le'Veon Bell. Give Aaron Rodgers the running back he deserves. That's what I would do. I think in the five teams, I think could and should go after Le'Veon Bell are one, the Ravens, two, the Colts, the Jets, the Bills, and the Packers. Those are the five teams that should go after and try to sign Le'Veon Bell. Okay, um, I'm going to drink water first. This is a, a long, exciting, interesting topic to me. I hope you, uh, hope you deem it as interesting as I do. I want to say this. Um, earlier this week, Duke played North Carolina. It was a massive, massive game in the college basketball world. 30 seconds into the game, Duke star Zion Williamson slipped. In the process, his shoe split open, and he sprained his knee. Zion Williamson, star basketball player, uh, probably the number one overall pick. Look, I was sad. It sucked because I wanted this game to be a really close, fantastic basketball game. Uh, but Duke lost their best player, and North Carolina won 88-72. But more importantly than the outcome of the game was this. Zion Williamson got hurt. And, and this opened up a massive, massive discussion all through not only the college basketball world, but really the sports world. Because you got to remember, this guy, Zion Williamson, is likely, what is likely to be and probably still will be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft coming up. And now he's hurt. And what that's causing is a lot of people are urging Zion Williamson to sit the rest of the year out. Saying, look, you're in college, you're not being paid. Stay out. They're, they're taking advantage of you. You should stay home, sit, sit and rest. Rest your knee. Prepare for the NBA draft. Do not play another quarter of basketball, another half of college basketball again. And look, as a fan, on one hand, I, I really would love to see Zion Williamson play basketball again in college. Uh, I really wanted to watch Duke this year in the NCAA tournament. I wanted to watch March Madness, see how Duke did. And without their best player, it's not going to be the same. However, if Zion Williamson was my friend, if, you know, my best friend Elijah, it's his birthday today. If, if he was my best friend, I would tell him, dude, stay out. Zion, do not play basketball. You have a huge payday coming up ahead in a couple months in the NBA draft. You don't owe Duke anything. They're making a ton of money off of you and you're not seeing any of it. Don't, don't, don't give them anything. Just stay home. Don't play and prepare for the NBA draft. You're probably going to be the number one overall pick anyways. This is your out. This is your way out of it. But here's the discussion I want to have. How, how do we avoid this problem? Should high school basketball players, should 18-year-old kids be allowed to enter the NBA? Why do they got to go do the year, pay their dues in college? And it's a very nuanced issue. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to explain both sides. I'm really sorry if I miss something. If I miss something, I, I'm honest. I'm open about it. I'm dumb. I make mistakes all the time. If there's something I forget or something you think I leave out, please leave a comment below. Let me know what you think. 
Um, but what I see is people either side with players or they side with the league. They either side with NBA decision makers, general managers or franchises, or they side with people like spokespeople like LeBron or guys like Zion Williamson or Ben Simmons. It's a very divisive issue. Now, the argument for the players goes like this. People believe that NBA players, that high school players, 18-year-old kids should be able to go straight from high school directly into the NBA. The reason why they can't do this is current rules by the NBA go as follows. They say this. They say, in order to enter the NBA draft, you have to have two, you have to meet two criteria. You got to one, be at least, you have to at least be 19 years old during the calendar year of the draft. And you must be one season removed from high school basketball. You got to go play in Europe. You got to go play in college, but you can't play. You got to play one year somewhere else after high school basketball. Now, NBA players hate the NCAA. They are not a fan of college basketball at all. And I think it's for some very valid reasons. Huge college basketball programs, programs like Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, they make a ton, millions and millions and millions of dollars off of ticket sales, merchandise, promotions, television deals. These programs make a lot of money off of their players, but the players don't see any of this money. They, they get good facilities, they get free room and board, they get food, but that's, that's, not as much, that's not really equivalent to the money you'd be making in the NBA and really the money that's being brought in by your performance. It's free labor. The NBA, I'll say, the NBA takes advantage, the NCAA, excuse me, the NCAA, college basketball takes advantage of its players. Millions and millions of dollars are made and none of it goes to the players. It's weird. You and I can acknowledge, it's very weird. If my, if my show brought in millions and millions of dollars and I didn't get any of it, that'd be freaking weird. I'd feel cheated, I'd feel wronged. And it's, it's very bizarre. In America, if you have a talent, you can make money off of it. You, if you have a, a great singing voice, you're an amazing singer, you're a great dancer, maybe you're a stand-up comedian, you have the opportunity to make a ton of money because of your talents. But if your talent's basketball... And football, or really, if your talent's especially basketball, the basketball's the most egregious. If your talent's basketball, the rules are different. You gotta wait a year. You can't make money right away, no matter how good you are, no matter how much money the NBA would pay you, you can't. And that's weird. It may be wrong. I tend to agree. I think that I think the problem's less the NBA and more the fact that college basketball takes advantage of its players. But there is another side to this. So that's, that's the player's perspective. Players felt like they're taken advantage of. They feel like they should be able to go straight to the NBA. They should be allowed to make money immediately. Take advantage of their talents. But the NBA makes these rules. And the NBA, from their perspective, is this. And I think it's also worth noting, in 2016, the NBA Players Association agreed to a CBA, Collective bargaining agreement, which kept these rules in place. The rules where you got to be, you got to be 19. You got to be one year removed. The players, the current players in the NBA agreed to keep those rules in, in 2016. But who does it really benefit? It most benefits NBA general managers, NBA franchises, NBA decision makers, people who would scout and recruit players to the NBA. Those people who are those are the people who are benefited the most from these rules. And it's an imperfect system. I don't have the answers. 
but, but again, I got to acknowledge most NBA players and most people in general that play basketball benefit from a year in college. It is very, very rare to see an 18-year-old kid, a guy like LeBron James or Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson. Those kind of people are very rare. People who you think could make an impact day one at 18 years old in the NBA. Those people are few and far between. But it does happen, and it happens frequently enough that we have to acknowledge it. We have to figure some, there's some kind of problem, and it, it's highlighted every single time we have a player like Zion. So I want you to try to see this from an NBA general manager's perspective. You have a kid. You're, you're recruiting a kid who is, or you're, you're scouting a kid who's in high school. He, he really, he plays AAU basketball. Then no one really, nobody scouts kids in high school basketball. They, they scout kids in private leagues where the best play all the best. And uh, it's a collection of all the best talent in the, the nation. That's who, that's where people scout for future NBA players. AAU basketball. But they're still all high schoolers. If you're in the NBA watching high school kids, I could understand why NBA decision makers would want more information before they draft a kid. We've seen him play against other 18-year-old kids. What happens when people are a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger? He's always been the best at his age. He's always been the best on the court. What happens when he plays someone who's actually better than him? How does he respond? It's hard to know when you're just watching high school kids. Or what if you're an NBA decision maker, you're a general manager, and you draft a player who turns out to be injury prone? Or you draft a player who turns out to just not be very good. What if he totally busts? Look, even with the extra year. So right now, as the rules stand, it takes a year before you can draft a kid into the NBA. Even with the rules in place, with an extra year, the 76ers still screwed up the NBA draft recently. They drafted, what's his name, Markel Fultz, number one overall. And it, it didn't work. He busted. He can't even shoot. Massive, massive bust. They, they traded him away recently. He's not even on the 76ers roster anymore. You could really argue that from an NBA perspective, the longer a guy plays college basketball, the more he develops and the more the NBA can verify and make sure they're picking the right guy. And you could really argue that if a guy doesn't want to play in college basketball, if he doesn't like not making any money for his efforts. He could go play immediately in Europe. If he's that good, go play in Europe. Go make money in Europe, play for a year, then come back to the States. And someone, if they really wanted to, this is the one I agree with the least, if someone really wanted to, they could argue that college basketball isn't actually a terrible setup. It's not as bad as we make it out to be. I think this is kind of silly, but people do say this. They say, well, you may not get millions of dollars like you would in the NBA, but you get free housing, you get well-fed, you get great facilities, you get a lot of cool perks, you get a lot of free merchandise. It could be worse, and yeah, it could be worse. It could also be a lot better. Um, but hey, that, that's an argument people do legitimately make. Now, the dilemma continues. Fred Carter is an NBA writer. He wrote this article for uh, ESPN. I don't actually have the name. I'm sorry. I'll put a link to it in the, the description below. There's, there's one big problem with college uh, and that's it. It limits the amount of time players can spend in the gym. It limits the amount of time that players can practice and get better at their craft. That's what happens when you play college basketball. You're told you can't do this all day. You got to go to class. You got to do this. There's restrictions on how much time you can literally spend in the gym. They limit your practice time. It's also worth noting that, and Fred writes this too. He says, 
Fred Carter says that if players could get to the NBA at 18 years old, it would start their clock sooner. Their clock for getting them towards their second contract. The second NBA contract is really where you make the most amount of money. So if you, if you sign your first contract at 18, you get your second contract by 22 rather than at 23. The sooner you get into the system, the sooner you get started on the ticking clock towards your second contract where you make all the money anyways. That, that's Carter's argument for why people should, why 18-year-old kids should be allowed into the NBA. This is the two issues that Carter highlights with letting 18-year-old kids into the NBA. The first thing he says is that 18-year-old kids have maturity issues. And it's kind of weird. You're, if you're under 21 and in the NBA, after a game ends, everybody goes out to the club, they go out to the bars, or everybody's drinking, and you're, you're 19 years old in the NBA. You can't do that. You legally cannot go out. You're not allowed to. So you're stuck inside playing video games. You're kind of isolated. It's a weird, weird dynamic. The other problem with letting 18-year-old kids into the NBA, according to Carter, is that some 18-year-old kids have been the best player their entire life. Then they get to the NBA, and they're just shell-shocked. Oh, my gosh. You're suddenly at the bottom of the, the totem pole. You're not the best on the court anymore. It's not easy for you. And many 18-year-old kids are not only not equipped mentally to handle that, they don't have the work ethic to handle that. They don't have the work ethic to push through, and maybe college, time in college, can develop their work ethic, their maturity, help them get more prepared for the NBA. I don't know. Uh, my, my conclusion, really, I don't have a conclusion. It's still just this dilemma. Um, I'm not going to pick a side on this whole mess. This whole thing is just a, it, it's crap, and it's, it's really a, a nuanced really ugly issue that I don't have the answers to, but I think it's worth just talking about. I think, first of all, it's very, very weird that big-time college basketball programs basically exploit their athletes for free labor. That's, that's not cool. But it's not, you can't even just say that because it's a bigger problem than that. Not every program's created equally. <laughs> not every program's created equal. If you compare Duke basketball's revenue to Washington State University in Pullman, Washington, it is vastly different. Kentucky basketball makes millions and millions and millions of dollars. Not every Division I basketball program does. And th that's a huge problem because you can't create a standardized amount of money you give to every player because not every some programs would literally be in the hole. They would eat, they'd eat dirt. They couldn't afford it. And also, how do you pay, like if Zion Williamson is the best player in college basketball, you pay him the most. But what do you pay the 13th pay a player on the team? What do you pay your, your sixth man? What do you pay a guy who's not a starter, a, a third guy in your rotation? What do you pay that guy? You can't pay, it's not, it's really weird because you're not, you can't afford to pay everybody the same amount of, amount of money. And better players deserve more money, but how do you do that in a standardized system in college basketball? Do you see the mess? Do you see the problem? And here's, from an NBA perspective, wouldn't you want a two-step verification process? High school to the NBA is a really big jump. So the final thing I'll say is that the more time you can evaluate a player, the more information you can gather about them, the better of an informed decision you can make. It's one thing to watch an 18-year-old kid play in an AAU gym against other 18-year-old kids. But if he's good in high school, wouldn't you want, what's wrong with waiting one more year? 
He's good in high school. Let's verify, make sure he's good in college. Oh, he's still good in college? Let's draft him. He's great. If he's good, if he's really that good and he's not going to get hurt, what's he scared of? I don't know. I mean, of course, I know he's scared of getting hurt. He's scared of losing out on millions and millions of dollars. It's a very weird issue. It's a huge issue. And every single time I look into it, frankly, I get a headache. I get confused. I just get more questions. And uh, I I really want to end with this. I I don't have the answers. I just have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns, and a lot of problems with the way the system works. And and I want your guys' feedback. I want to know what you guys think. Because I, I, frankly, it's just a massive, massive nuanced issue that gives me a headache. I don't have the answers. If you do, please let me know. Okay, we have uh, three stories left I want to talk about. They are all relating to the Alliance of American Football. (laughs) Um, Tom Dundon. Tom Dundon, uh, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, just invested $250 million into the Alliance of American Football. He did this after their very first week of games. If you don't know, the AAF is a new professional football league, a developmental league, and somewhat in partnership with the NFL, who is trying to give players an opportunity to play again professionally and then show their talent and move up to the NFL. Well, after the first week in the AAF, there was a problem with payroll. According to the Alliance of American Football, they said they switched payroll administrators. They they switched their system that pays the players. And uh, basically, at the very same time they switched administrative systems, Tom Dundon also invested $250 million. And this led many people, including myself, I'll I'll take the blame, uh, a lot of people said that it made them think the AAF was low on money and needed funding. This came because it was reported that players were not getting paid and then they got paid late. And it looked like from the outside looking in, oh crap, players players aren't getting paid. A guy invested a ton of money. Well, clearly, they're getting rescued. The reason why they were paid is because of that investment. It's actually not true. It's, it's not true at all. Charlie Ebersole, accor- according to Charlie, it's not true. Charlie Ebersole, the co-founder of the Alliance of American Football, blamed the lateness on the shift in systems. He said, we changed administrative systems. We should have done it two weeks earlier. That's our bad. We're learning. Uh, but that is why players didn't get paid until a day uh, until after the weekend. They, you know, we had, had Friday. The system was changed Friday. We had President's Day on Monday. Players got paid on Tuesday because Monday was a national holiday. And I was very careful. I was very, I tried to be as honest as I could. When Tom Dundon, when it was reported that Tom Dundon had invested $250 million into the AAF, I said, look, I have no idea how much money this actually is, and I don't know how much money it goes. I think the worst thing I could have done in that situation was Pretend like I was some kind of financial expert that I'm not. I'm not a financial expert. I don't know. I have to wait till other people tell me what it means. <laughs> I, I frankly, uh, I'm not the guy to analyze the finances. Not an accountant. But we did finally get an answer. Tom Dunn did an interview with, um, with USA Today, and he explained how much money this is, how long it's going to last for the Alliance of American Football, and how much this can really help the AAF. So Tom Dundon, the investor, told USA Today, the money should pay for the AAF payroll for about five seasons, five years. And what that means is this is a huge deal. This is not just a little bit of amount of money. And I, I thought so, right? I calculated it's about $35 million. I did on the last video. It's about $35 million to pay the payroll of the entire uh, league for one season. About, it's about five years you can pay for everyone's payroll. 
The reason why this is a huge deal, the reason why this is a big deal and great news if you're an Alliance of American Football fan is it buys the league time for them to become self-sustaining. Gives them time. Means they have capital to last until they're able to bring in enough money to be a self-sustaining business. It's great. Means Tom Dundon, the owner, the investor, looked at the AAF as their first week and said, this is a deal, this is a, a program, a business model I believe in. I believe this can work. I want to be at the forefront of it. I'm going to give you so much money, you never got to worry about money again. That's what Tom Dundon did. That's what that amount of money meant. Means he watched week one and believed in it. And then he heavily, heavily invested in the league. We also know that attendance doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Attendance is really low at these games. I'm going to a game in San Diego this weekend. And uh, apparently, like, no one's going to be there. I don't know. I'll film it. You'll see it uh, next week. But it doesn't really matter. The AAF makes most of their money from TV deals. This is where they make a lot of their money. And right now, a lot of people are watching on television. A lot of people are watching AAF games. The first game on national broadcast TV on CBS brought in 2.9 million viewers. And I really wish that every game was on a normal network every week. Right now, games are kind of hidden on TNT and NFL Network. If games were on CBS every week, I think that number would stay the way it is. Right now, on TNT last week, uh, over a million viewers watched the Saturday afternoon game. I believe that was the Birmingham Iron. And then both games on NFL Network last week got over 400,000 viewers. What that means is there's a lot of hope and a lot of... The AAF is doing very well. They're getting a lot of viewers, and that should turn eventually into a lot of money and a self-sustaining business. They're on the right track. Their numbers are far higher than anyone expected this early. They're doing really well. Now, next year, though, the Alliance of American Football is going to have a competitor. A third football league is starting next, next, next year. Uh, Vince McMahon's XFL is returning. But here's the impact of that $250 million. The reason why that large investment by Tom Dundon, that $250 million, allows the AAF to outlast the XFL. The XFL does not have five years of funding behind it. Not only does the alliance have a, five, uh, have a one-year head start, they have a one-year head start, they have a giant amount of funding behind them, and in the war between the two leagues, that is coming. There is a giant war coming between the AAF and the XFL. Right now, the Alliance of American Football has a massive, massive lead. They're in good shape. So the last thing I want to say is uh, I want to make a comparison. In case anybody's confused about the way this investment works out, I want to compare it to my podcast. Someday my goal is to have enough people listening and watching to do this as my full-time job. I want to build the, build the audience, be able to monetize it, have more people listening, and do it as my full-time job. So Tom Dundon's five-year investment in the AAF, that $250 million investment, is the equivalent of someone coming along and paying my rent and my food for the next five years. If someone came and paid for all my rent and all my food and said, look, do your thing, make your podcast, you don't have to worry about your bills. You're good. That's the equivalent. Tom Dundon said, build your league. Invest in revenue streams. Make more money. Find a way to make more money off of this. You got five years to not worry about the bills. 
worry about only making more money for your league. It's good. Tom Dundon's investment in the AAF is a huge, huge deal. I, I didn't get it last week. I didn't quite understand how much it was. It's overwhelmingly positive for the Alliance. So I really, I really hope everyone appreciated my transparency last week. I, you know, I, I was very honest. I said, I, I don't know what this means. I, I don't know. I think it's a lot of money. I don't know how much money it is and how long it's going to go. I'm really glad we got answers. The answer is the Alliance of American Football is going to be here to last. They're going to be here for the next five years at the very least and probably after that because all they're going to do is five years of building revenue streams and becoming a self-sustaining business. Tom Dundon, thank you so much. The league I love, the AAF, is in good hands and very well supported because of your uh, contributions. Tom Dundon, thank you. And the AAF should be here five years from now. That is what we learned from that massive, massive investment of $250 million into the Alliance of American Football. Now let's talk about the XFL. Um, Dang it, I recently made a video. Uh, I recently... I recently made a video called I Don't Want the XFL to Happen. And uh, many people got mad at me. I, I ugh, God. Um, and look, a lot of people got mad at me because they disagree. They want the XFL to happen. And that's, that's really fair. I understand that. Uh, it's also worth noting the XFL would be the second professional league launched in just as many years. And, uh, and look, if you're a fan of the XFL, great. Be mad at me all you want. It's not personal to the XFL. Now, here's the reason why most people were mad at me. <laughs> a lot of people were mad because I said the wrong name. And they refused to get over it, too. They're, they're beating me to death. <laughs> I said Jim McMahon instead of Vince McMahon. And look, I know the difference between the two guys. I know Jim McMahon is the former Bears quarterback. I know that Vince McMahon is the CEO of the WWE. In the video, I meant Vince. I did mean Vince. I know the difference between the two. I misspoke. It happens. Um, but I, I really want to say, if you're concerned about me saying the wrong name, you miss the point of the entire video. Forget the name. What about what I said? <laughs> the point of the video was, I don't want a third professional football league entering the fold. You don't need it. The take really had very little to do with the actual XFL. I don't care about the XFL. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is about market share. There's only so much market share to go around. There's only so much viewership to go around. A lot of people in America are already confused by having a second league. Like the Alliance of American Football, what's that? Another league, oh. You're going to take those confused people. And make it even harder for them by adding a third league, the XFL, into the fold. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Why isn't there another league televised alongside the NBA? Why isn't there another professional basketball league right now on live television competing with the NBA? Because it's not possible. There's only enough room for one. There's not enough market share. Disagree if you want. I don't, I don't mind. It's not personal, but I think the XFL is a bad idea. I don't think the two, the XFL and the AAF, I don't think they can both live for very long. I, I really think the XFL should admit they got beat to the punch. They got, they're starting a year late to this war. And now the Alliance of American Football is not only a year ahead of them, they also just received a five-year, 
$250 million investment, which means they're going to be around for the next five years. They have five years of capital. Introducing the AAF into, excuse me, introducing the XFL, another league into the same market as the AAF is suicide. It's silly. It's wrong. All you would do is hurt the viewership for both leagues. Two competing leagues means nobody wins and really means someone dies and then the AAF has most capital to survive. The AAF has more capital. They have the amount of money they can survive for the next five years. They can outlast the XFL. Both of them are going to lose for a while. The XFL will dissolve, and then the AF will be the last man standing and can continue their mission of becoming a self-sustaining business. I just don't understand. I, I don't. It's a bad idea. Why split the market? If Vince McMahon wants to be involved in professional football, great. Somehow get involved in the AF. Start either invest in the AAF or start a franchise in the Alliance of American Football. But let your ego aside. Forget about the XFL for just a little bit. I, I really believe that the Alliance of American Football and the XFL compete head-to-head. Someone's going to lose. Only one of those two leagues can survive. And I would put my money on the Alliance. They have $250 million, five years of capital, and they have a year head start to build their brand. They have more money. They started first. I think the XFL is suicide. It's a bad idea. And I don't want it taking market share from the league I really like, the Alliance of American Football. I think the XFL is a bad idea. I do not want Vince McMahon's XFL to happen. Sorry, it's how I feel. I think it's a bad idea. Oh, goodness. Uh, Last thing I want to say. Week three of the Alliance of American Football starts this weekend. It's going to be fantastic. I want to run through all four games, make predictions, tell you where you can watch the games, tell you what kind of week it's going to be. Uh, Personally, I think week three of the AAF is going to be the worst week all season. It's the worst week we're going to have for a while. It's not a good, not a very good matchups. And the one matchup you have in the Alliance of American football is buried behind a paywall. It's a bad idea. So the first game this weekend is actually the best game of the weekend. It's Saturday, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. East Coast time. It's the Arizona Hotshots at the Salt Lake Stallions. It's a good matchup. It's a regional matchup. I think it's a a good game between Josh Woodrum, the Salt Lake quarterback, is returning from an injury. The Arizona Hotshots are one of the, probably the best teams in the league. It's a well-matched, really balanced game between two good quarterbacks, two good rosters, teams that have good offensive lines. And sadly, it's hidden behind a paywall. (laughs) The problem is it's the only way to watch it from what I can tell. Look, I could be wrong. I'm going to Google it when it comes out. Maybe it's going to stream on YouTube or I can probably find a link on Reddit or something. From what I can find, though, the only way to watch it is on Bleacher Report Live, which I Googled it. It's like a Bleacher Report website. You can pay like $2.99 to watch stuff or you can pay for a monthly pass. Uh, yeah, I'm not paying money to watch that. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm good. I already have so many subscriptions and all this stuff. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm sure I'll find a way. I know someone I think who has it who can send me a link. Um, but I, I think a lot of people are going to struggle to watch this game, and no one's going to want to pay Bleacher Report for one day to watch their stupid game. Um, and I think it's really going to hurt viewership. And it's sad because this is the best game of the weekend, and it's locked on to Bleacher Report Live. Um, I, I hope someday in the future these games are put on network television and games. I would If this game was on CBS, dude, I'd watch it. I want to watch this game there. I want to watch it on network television, and it's, it's stuck behind a paywall that's really sad. So... That's the first game of the weekend. It's Saturday, early in the day, noon, Pacific Coast time, Arizona at Salt Lake. 
The second game of the weekend is the Memphis Express at the Orlando Apollos. Saturday, this is at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. East Coast time. Uh, this is an easy pick, right? I think that, first I want to say, I think Arizona's going to win the game between uh, Arizona and Salt Lake. I think Orlando's going to win the game between Orlando and Memphis. The only question I really have between Orlando and Memphis is how much can Memphis's defense affect the Orlando quarterback, Garrett Gilbert? Can they make him make critical mistakes and pull out the win? It's interesting. I, I don't think that Memphis really has a shot. Their quarterback is far and away, maybe even the worst in the entire league, but Garrett Gilbert is certainly far better than the Memphis quarterback, Christian Hackenberg. And um, I, I just don't know. This, I think it's going to be an ugly game that Orlando wins comfortably. The way to watch this game is to go on NFL Network. It's on NFL Network, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. East Coast time. Or you can stream it live on Fubo TV. Ah, it's something in my nose. Doesn't feel good. Uh, the third game of the weekend is the Birmingham Iron at the Atlanta Legends. This is Sunday, 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. East Coast time. This is on CBS Sports Network. And this is a game the Birmingham Iron should win easily. Look, I said this is a bad week in the AF. It's a game, a week of probably three blowouts and one interesting game that's, again, hidden behind a paywall. And uh, the Birmingham Irons should win easily. They, they might not win by 40 points because they're a team that runs pretty heavily, and that means the game goes pretty slow. And, but they could win 20 to nothing, and I wouldn't bat an eye. They have a far better quarterback. The Birmingham Irons have better coaching. They have a better running game, better offensive line. The Birmingham Irons should make quick work of the Atlanta Legends. Now, the last game of the weekend, the fourth game of the weekend, is in San Diego. It's the San Antonio Commanders at the San Diego Fleet. I will be at this game. I'm, I'm flying out on Sunday morning. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to watch. Uh, I have no idea how many people are going to be in the stands. But I do know this game is Sunday night at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. East Coast time. It's on NFL Network if you want to watch on TV. And uh, look, I think this is a game the Commanders should win by a lot. Commanders have a better quarterback better offensive line, the best receiving core in the Alliance of American football. And uh, look, that's week three. Look, it's a lot of, it's three blowouts. The commander should win. The Birmingham Irons should win. The Orlando Apollo should win. And uh, the Arizona hot shots at the Salt Lake Stallions is probably the most interesting game. And I, I think the Arizona is going to, I think Arizona is going to win that game as well. So three pretty bad matchups, one really good game hidden behind a paywall. And uh, look, I, I don't know. Uh, this is a disappointing week. I think it's going to be fun. I'll be at a game. So it'll make up for the fact that, I don't really care about the other matchups. Um, and uh, week three should be fun. We'll, look, we'll discuss it. I'm interested, and I hope you watch, and I hope, uh, hope we have something to talk about later next week. I'll be back in town on Wednesday, and I'll probably do a podcast then. So, guys, thank you so much. That is all I have for today. I really appreciate you. Remember, you uh, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I really appreciate it. I don't market it. I only The way I market it is I really my, my business plan is to, again, do the very best I can, make a, a great podcast i'm proud to share with everyone and uh something i believe in and uh help me grow it by telling your friends about this show so thank you so much i appreciate you hope you have a great day and uh see you guys next week bam we are done